Welcome to the Latina Libertarian with your host, Olga Maria, where we love free speech, free thought, and free minds. In today's episode, I'll be taking on what the heck is a libertarian? A question many are asking given recent current events and the success of Porkfest in New Hampshire. Joining me today is JT Dodge. He is a political candidate for the Vermont State Senate, vice chair of the Vermont Libertarian Party, and a member of the No Carbon Tax Vermont Group. Join me in this show. Hey, we are live. <laughs> okay. I think there's a little bit of an echo here. Okay, so welcome to the Latina Libertarian with your host, Olga Maria. I am here today with JT Dodge, who is my friend and a fellow libertarian. Um, he was a 2020 candidate for the Caledonia District State Senate. Um, he's a proponent of individual individual rights here in Vermont, and he's also the vice chair of the Vermont Libertarian Party, and he works with um, the... So thank you so much, JT, for joining me today. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. So I, um, I call today's episode, What the Heck is a Libertarian? Because I feel like especially the last few months, there's been a lot of interest um, in liberty. Well, not the last few months, right? The last year and change. There's been a lot of interest in liberty. Um, and I think in the last few months, for sure, um, a lot more people are looking at libertarianism and are curious. And I think also a lot of libertarians like us, like we're just talking about it more and we're reaching out to people and connecting with people, especially with what's been happening with the shutdowns, the lockdowns and, and mandates that are happening, like what we're living through right now. Um, I think people are really interested in what we're talking about. So I wanted to have this show. So I appreciate that you're um, here with me. So definitions. Um, how would you how would you define yourself as a libertarian, or how would you define libertarianism? Well, I'll tell you what. Um, I would. Yeah, I like the first question. How would I define myself as a libertarian? I, I like. Actually, I like Larry Sharp. Uh, some one of his. Um, summaries. Um, and I think that one of the ways he goes about it, he says, you can be as uh, liberal or as conservative as you want to be, but let's just not force somebody else to be like you. Yeah. And so if we can agree on that, then we're, we're almost all the way there with libertarianism. Um, and that, and then I, that sort of feeds into this sort of, um, for libertarians, usually we're kind of, we lean against war, like in we're against war. Um, that's one of those sort of qualities about not forcing people to be like you. You often don't end up in wars with them. Right. I like that too. Um, I love, I love listening to Larry Sharp. I think he does a great job at bringing a libertarian perspective to a lot of things. Mm. Um, and so what's your journey to libertarianism? Well, um, I don't know. It happened without my noticing, to be honest. Um, 
I I didn't realize I was a libertarian until um, somebody explained. Really, it, it was as simple as somebody explained the NAP to me, you know, the non-aggression principle. And, and that resonated with me, but I still am not apt towards joining a party. I still kind of came from a more, uh, really a, a place that was more pissed off at the parties than anything else. Um, but then when I found the libertarianism, uh, so it hasn't been so easy for me. So there's been some stumbling blocks. Um, uh, there's been a lot of assumptions on my part. Like when the party says that libertarians are a certain way, does that mean that all libertarians are a certain way? You know, and I don't think it does. No, there's such a, and I have this conversation a lot with, um, with friends and, and, and family and people who are like, ask about libertarianism. There's such a spectrum I mean, there's libertarians like, you know, I said like there's like a small L libertarian, which is, you know, people who like weed and guns and, you know, they just kind of want to be left to their own devices mm-hmm. are people who um, are just more focused on certain certain electoral things. And then you go, can go to the other end of the gamut to there's libertarians who don't want a state right. um, and, you know, and everything that works in between, I think. Mm-hmm definitely for sure the idea of limiting government but the two fundamental principles and I always talk about this because I feel like when I heard that it really spoke to me like I really always felt that way but I just fell into the left because of you know I grew up in New York City and you know going to college and what and so I really do empathize in a lot of ways with young people now because I was in that environment as well and I got caught up in that as well Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. um yeah, so the non-aggression principle for sure and voluntarism, and I think that's where we can all agree in terms of libertarianism, like those are fundamental principles, like not not hurting people, not taking their stuff, um, right. and you know, interactions, whether it's between a person to person, group to group, state to people, uh, should be voluntary. Um, and yeah. that's like, I love your hat. That's one of the, re- the reasons why we say taxation is theft. Yeah. And it's, it's crazy when you say it until you really stop to think about what does that mean? If you own something and, you know, the state wants to come and, and force you to pay for that thing that you own. Well, what happens if you don't do that? Right. You get, you know, I mean, you can die. You, you get aggressed upon by the state. Right. And, and that can lead to death pretty quick. Um, yeah, if you has. try to defend yourself, you know, yeah. uh, which you have every right to do, you have every individual right to do to defend yourself from somebody that's going to take something that's not theirs. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree that the state believes, you know, it has this power, you know. Um, so I agree, also agree that the uh, taxation um, in the NAP, um, there's an interesting cross uh, intersection there. And that I do like the topic of taxation is theft. It's just one of the things about this topic is I've noticed it a ton of times where people before you ever really get to have the conversation, which maybe we'll get to have. um, If you ever really get to have the conversation about why taxation is theft, then, you know, it's really easy to accept what the situation is that we're in. Um, uh, and, And it's easy for somebody that sees a hat like this to assume that we're some kind of ideological group that might think that we could just walk through a room and flip a switch and say, there goes taxation. No more taxation. That's that. What are we going to do now? The roads and bridges are going to crumble. They're going to collapse. Everything's going to collapse. <laughs> yeah. And, and, um, and, and there actually is no switch like that. So um, there's no big, um, Oh, the libertarians are going to come along and they're going to make some gigantic change. But here's the thing. Um, the, the, 
taxation, as far as taxation goes, um, if we look at it like this, if we look at it like, okay, taxation is theft. Let's just go there. Taxation is theft because like you explained, if, if you don't pay your taxes, somebody will come and take your stuff. And if you try to defend yourself, you can end up, uh, you know, dead or in jail or, or some bunch of bad things can happen to you. Um, so, and there is no switch that says we can just flip taxation off, you know? So this, you know, turns off a lot of people because they think that person's not realistic. Well, it they sounds think, fringe at, you know, when you, when you don't talk about it and explain it, it sounds fringe, but yeah, yeah go ahead. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that, um, in general, what, what we're looking at is, um, if taxation is theft and it is then we should and then we shouldn't do it but we've already done an awful lot of it and we've established this system that's so complicated and it's enmeshed in what we do so if we really shouldn't be doing it and and it's ethically got problems real problems and it and it does then shouldn't we only be doing this when we absolutely absolutely must have something that we can't figure out another way to get it because in the case of taxation, you're taking from people. It's literally one of those scenarios. Like you're taking, yeah, sure. You're taking from some people that have a lot, but you're taking from people across the gamut. From everybody. Yeah. You're taking from people right across the gamut. So it should be, if we could just start to limit it to the thinking of, just get to the thinking that if we're doing this, then we need to at least absorb that there's a harm being done. And if we can see that there's a harm being done and we shouldn't be around running around harming or using our government to harm individuals, it's not what this is about. It's really a perspective thing, you know? And if you start digging in on this, people get real, they get afraid to have these kinds of conversations because one, they don't really know what to say, but what you're saying doesn't make a heck of a lot of sense. They never really thought about it that much. Um, I think in general, if we can start getting to a place where people think of taxation as something that we do in an emergency situation, and I, and then when we get there, we start to think of how we can do it in other ways altogether. I mean, I think it's all about faith for me, the pipe dream. If you want to think of it that way, you know, this, some people may think we can get there. Some people may think we can't, but I think it's a good fight and it's an ethical fight to consider that taxation is theft. However, I don't think that it's a popular piece that's going to win elections in Vermont. Mm -hmm. I don't. It's interesting that you said like when I, when I've had conversations like this um I found more often than not people do start you know they're like wait a minute that actually makes a little bit of sense the way you put it um and I just look at it like this from the time that you know you're born and all throughout your life there's so many instances where the state imposes itself um on you and invades your privacy essentially Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, so if we started just kind of take a, a step back and think about, all right, well, let's just pick one thing. So like, for example, um, car inspections, right? In Vermont, you have to have your car inspection. So you have to pay to have your car, which you own, inspected. You have to pay a certain fee. And the goal of that, and I think this might kind of bridge us into the, some of the climate stuff, but the goal of that, I guess, is to make sure it passes I guess mechanical, like certain things that they look at basic stuff. Um, and then if they find something wrong with it, you don't pass inspection until you pay to have those things 
correct it. Even if your car is running fine, even if it's not giving you a problem, even if it's safe to drive, but because the state has set a certain standard, which um, can be subjective actually, because it's up to the, the bureaucrats of that particular department to determine. So if you just look at that one thing, and that how that really affects, I mean, I know people who can't afford to have their, you know, they can't afford the inspection because let's say they have a later model car, um, but it's their only vehicle to for their for their work. It's their only vehicle for their livelihood. And they know that it won't pass. And in order for it to pass, like they would have to spend a couple of thousand dollars in order just to have a sticker. Um, and so it's just when you think of something like that, how it imposes and why does that have to be by force essentially. And I think, um, I don't know if it was in our state or in one of like our neighboring states where there was this conversation on the state level of why not make that voluntary? Um, have the state inspect, like go, you can have it inspected, but it's more to inform you of, okay, you know, you need to fix this or that, but it's not gonna hinder you from being able to um, drive your vehicle. So, but, you know, it's just something like that where that could really have an impact. So maybe you don't think about it. You pay your, your 40, 50 or 60, whatever it is to get it inspected. I don't know. Some places might be a little bit more or less. Um, and you're, you know, you know, your car is fine and for you, it may not be a big deal, but for other people, um, it could be a very big deal. And then, so let's say you get pulled over and you don't have that inspection stick. And now we're looking at now, okay, so now do you get a ticket? Like, so now we're just looking at this. Um, this domino effect of all these things from just, and that's just one instant. We're not even talking about like all the other ways that, mm -hmm. that the state imposes it itself. Um, yeah. And it's not protecting, it's not making anything more safe or anything like that. I'm sure there's arguments of why that was even imposed, but at the end of the day, when you really step back, it's not, it's not doing anything. Um, but I, yeah, so I was I thought this actually might be a good way to segue into the the no climate tax Vermont work that you've been doing, because I feel like that's one of the excuses that's used in Vermont is like the exhaust, the exhaust, is it like to make sure that emissions, that's what it is, like emission standards. So can yeah. you talk a little bit on the, the carbon tax and what's well, been happening um, in Vermont? Yeah, I can. Um, so to, to touch a little bit, though, on what you were talking about with the inspection. Um, so a, one thing in particular, um, we had a, a special restriction put on the Northeast um, when we had issues with ozone years back. So there was a big hole, I guess they want to refer to it as, uh, that's the way they were calling it, uh, a hole in the ozone above the Northeast of the United States. And so all these states got um, a special law that comes from a federal government imposed upon them so that we um, need our emissions specifically. So it's a special extra thing. The part that I kind of um, fall away from is that I don't believe that they should be doing forced safety inspections on anybody else's equipment. We take care of our own equipment. If we relied on government to take care of, our, they can't take care of their own equipment. Um, yeah. Have you ever seen some of their computer systems or tried to, I don't think I can hear you. You might be on mute. Oh, I muted it a little bit. Uh, okay. Um, you know, anyways, they have a hard time taking care of their own stuff, right? And they're not going to get it right to make sure that everybody's safe because they're all driving. Here's the thing that they could do is they could pull people over that have dangerous looking vehicles and, and tell them like, you know, maybe ask them what's going on with driving this dangerous heap of crap around. 
um, you know, I mean, obviously you can have a dangerous car out there on the road. Um, so, uh, you know, you get pulled over for that, like, you know, Hey, this is a dangerous car. You know, what's the reason? I think maybe sometimes you got to go explain that to the judge. I don't know. Maybe we can't sort that out on the road, but if you're forcing everybody, even everybody with a new car into a hole that implies that they not only have broken emissions, but they have, um, a, somehow a dangerous car, it seems like a boondoggle for money or just another tax or, you know, but let's call it what it is. If we're going to call it, you know, if we're going to, you know, let's not call it a safety inspection. Let's call it a tax. Right. You know, um, so there's a price for things, but then, you know, the state, I don't want to go too far in this, but the state did um, up the ante on inspections and they, they made things even more strict. And now um, the, the folks at the garages, the, the mechanics, they had to buy this really expensive new equipment again. So oh, this boy. is the second time in a very short period of time, they've had to spend a lot of money, their own money on um, regulation. So now they have to take a photograph of the front, the back, the side, the side. This is so that they can't give us breaks. This is so the state can say, no, 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 no. We're going to penalize you, Mr. Mechanic, for giving so-and-so a break when they should have been penalized on. We can see the picture. You took a photograph of it. That's not right back there. Or, wow. you know, that's not, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, and so, um, you know, the whole system is really screwy around that. And I agree with you. I'm, I would be a protester and I have spoken about that in the past about how fishy that inspections are and please don't call them safety inspections and, right. and get that all out of there. I don't want all this extra. Don't look at my car because it seems like you're just trying to drum things up and that's not an ethical thing. Like I'm not beating up on the mechanic, yeah. but the, the state has given them a special favor, done right. a special thing. You know, if you follow this, this, and this, we'll give you all of this, you know, not right. anybody can do vehicle inspections, but exactly. You have to, you know, you, you have to even fall under, uh, certain requirements that make it, um, you know, so that you can do that. Another area that just occurred to me, like, as you were saying, that is like professional licensure. And, yeah. um, you know, <laughs> it's funny people like, Oh, the, this is the hill. I would die on so many Hills <laughs> when it comes to how big the government is. And, you know, are, we just have to decrease like what the state does because there's so many things that are unnecessary and so one of them is like professional licensure mm -hmm. so i'm an acupuncturist and in order mm -hmm. to practice my profession i have to become licensed through the state now i have a master's degree i'm board certified i have certifications through a professional agency However, in order to um, work legally in Vermont, I have to have a license. And all it is is just sh giving all this documentation that I already have and I have it like in my office and I always have. And I need, I need, I need, I don't, well, I need the certifications and, and my degree and all of that. So if I wanna, for example, um, be on health insurance so people can pay me using their health insurance, these type of things, I need all of that anyway. Mm -hmm. um, but I have to show that to the state and then I have to pay a fee to the state, um, to the secretary of state, just so I can have, you know, licensed acupuncturist at the end of my name so I can practice here legally. Mm -hmm. well, what mm -hmm. does the state know about acupuncture? They don't know anything. It doesn't know anything about acupuncture. In <laughs> fact, they allow doctors, medical doctors to do acupuncture legally in the state. Who've taken a class. They don't have any training. There's no right. training for them. Like, please, no. God, no. <laughs> right. You know? or, or you can do like dry needling 
which is right. acupuncture, but it's like a weekend or like a short course that um, usually it's like chiropractors or physician and uh, physical therapists can do. And don't get me wrong. I love chiropractors and physical therapists, but I'm not taking a weekend class, mm. you know, to do adjust dry adjustments or whatever we could call it, or, you know, like a, a weekend course or like a, a short, you know, online course uh, to do certain things that, you know, um, exercises or something that physical therapist does. But yeah, I mean, that's yeah. an aside, but I mean, part of that also is just because the state is involved in the first place, a lot of that has to do with lobbying. So you have professional um, professional um, uh, associations that lobby to states when they have an interest in, let's say, using techniques from another profession that's licensed through the state. But that's just always one of my my pet. I don't want to call it a pet peeve because it's not anything little. It's a lot. I mean, and it, it costs a lot of money um, yeah. to have to get these licensures and it they can arbitrarily increase what that fee is. So when oh, I first true. started, it was like one hundred dollars, which is not, you know, compared to other states, that's not an awful lot of money. But for some people, especially if you just finished school, I mean, you know, it might take a little bit of time to get that. In addition to all the other things, because you've taken several exams and plus you've had your education. So now you have to pay the state. Um, but then they increased it. I don't remember how much it was. I remember I paid, I ended up paying a lot because um, um, I think this was, was it during something happened that I, I missed the deadline and then they added um like a, a penalty fee to it on top of it. And I was just like, when did this all get decided? Um, I don't remember any t getting any information from the state or an email from the state, like a public hearing, like from people who are in this, but like you just randomly decided. Um, and then it was over like a hundred percent increase of what they decided to charge. So it wasn't like a, an incremental, it was quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, you know, why do they have to give approval for professions anyway? All it is is just a way to extract a fee from people in order for them to practice their profession. And, you know, you see that now in our state, they're trying to include more like professions and trades that they can get, um, you know, money out of to say, well, you have to have a license if you're going to be, I forgot what, there's a couple of new ones. I think it was like a handyman or something like that. Like you had to be licensed um, if you do more than a certain amount of hours. And it's just like, why? And, you know, so this is kind of like, when it comes to like libertarians, like this is one of the, this is like one of the issues we look at, like when the state, you know, tries to impose itself, like, you know, like webs intricately going into so many aspects of your life for you to function. So for you to, if you're self-employed or if you're a business owner or a small business, like for you to like even be able to start functioning, it's like, you have to ask permission. You have to pay, you know, to be allowed and, um, it's to mm -hmm. me it's completely unethical and immoral because they um have no determination in in my my education or or in training or anything like that you just want that money so they can say okay you're allowed to do this yeah just, and what they do i think is really yeah i think that they do a lot of um they run around and they they um what they try to do i think is basically scare the public and they use this as a lever to make it illegal for a particular person if they break a certain rule or a certain ethical guideline they can make it impossible for that person to do business in the state by revoking said license and and they charge you more for it. why because they can right 
because they can and they have that power. And, and when people say, well, they, you know, the price of, you know, everything costs something and, you know, the bigger the government, uh, you know, the more expensive the government and the more creative right. ideas. And um, what are they going to do? They governments govern and they're going to grow and they strategically govern. And when you fight them and that's hard, their whole mission is to govern, to make the best policy decisions. And somehow the best policy decisions are also associated with the biggest lobby groups. Right. And I, I agree that that um, I didn't mean to dodge. I didn't. I promise you, I didn't dodge the climate piece. We'll get back to that. Yeah. Um, but I, I, you know, I agree with you. I think that um, uh, it, it actually is a tool for industries, specific industries, to keep competition out. You know that that's that's what they're doing here. That's the lobbyists for the acupuncture groups was the acupuncturists. I'm sure of it. You know, uh, it was the people that, you know, they, and also I wouldn't be surprised if people that lobbied against it or made it more strict were the MDs, mm. you know, it would, it would serve them to also kind of make it a little bit kind Let of funky me, yeah. for other types of medicine. I'm not saying that there's any kind of a conspiracy theory. I'm just saying that, you know, that kind of eats their lunch when you're serving medical needs, you know, people get frustrated. They have a place to go, you know, they get frustrated with a certain kind of medicine. They have a place to go. But uh, in general, I think that there's too many where we've gone too far. They're licensing everything. And it's not like they do well at regulating who's doing ethical things. They can't regulate the ethics in the state house. Right. They can't. They can't and, and regulate they, themselves. They can't even regulate their own ethics committee. Right. You know, they can't. Um, that's 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 fact. And um, And so how could we think that we could, I mean, do we trust this group? to tell us, okay, so some things are easy. If somebody does something totally outlandish, you know, uh, and it's destructive and hurtful to citizens of Vermont, and that seems like the way they are and they're thinking, well, you know, maybe there's a lever that we can pull that they can get them the heck out of here. Mm -hmm. Maybe there isn't. I really don't know. I hadn't really thought that much about it. But one thing I can think of is that it's not very palatable for me, people to think that, um, that getting a certain kind of license to do a certain kind of job that might affect safety in people like, you know, people go to the worst case scenario, right? So yeah. we want our things like this, like who do we want licensed and certified? We want our nuclear engineers. If we had a power plant, we'd want those guys because we want, you know, because somehow you associate, you got a license with you're better at what you do because you're licensed like Somehow the state came in and said, wow, those persons are really great, like nuclear, whatever they do. Right. They don't know anything about this. They just, this just says, well, okay, you say you did, you have the paperwork that shows that you did everything that you um, say that you did. Uh, is the real question, let me ask you this. Is there a good question here about whether the state actually has any role in licensing anything? Because in that gets into a broader, Okay. That gets into a broader subject because you start why. talking about driver's licenses and yeah. things like that. I, 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 I mean, I, I guess I'm far out in a way. I oppose that as well because I figure um, if you're going to um, if you're going to drive a car, you either have to own it yourself, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, how do you get a car? You either own it or like someone gives it to you. So you have to know how to you have to know how to operate it. So someone teaches you how right. to operate. Um, but to like, yeah, I was thinking about that the other day. Like, so when I was saying like in so many like aspects of your life from the time that you're born, 
there's so many ways that the state and it's just like, well, I always kind of step back and like, well, what's just the free market solution to this? The free market solution is if I own a car, like I'm paying for my car, um, I know how to operate my car. So why am I asking the state permission to operate my car? I Not mean, only that, I, but you have an investment it. and you have right. an investment in keeping it in good working condition. I mean, and so given like the you know? amount of like motor vehicle accidents that happen like on a yearly basis with people who yeah. have, you know, their license, they haven't like all the things. I mean, right. it's just it's going to happen whether the state is giving you permission or not, because they're th what's really the standard. It's like the most basic standard. I mean, when I was young, I, you know, in high school, I took a driver's ed class. I think things like that are totally and I don't have a problem. Let's say if I go to purchase a car and the, the dealership is like, oh, did you take a driver's ed class? Like just so we know, like you're able to take this off the lot. I don't have a problem with that. Um, but my thing is like what's you know, it's just a, a whole layer of bureaucracy that's mm. there to kind of extract. That's how I see it. It's there to well, extract. There's a, there's a lot not of preventing anything. There is a lot of different kinds of controls that they leverage through the driver's license. As and, well, right. Yeah. I mean, there's a hundred different ways to get money out of you. If they threaten to take away your ability to drive, they don't just take away your license. They take away your ability. Dude, look, you can't even drive a car anymore. No. Right. Um, you know, they... Well, you, you know. can. And then like, and you're using that, you know, like, so then we kind of look at what else does that license give you? Well, you know, freedom of movement is something that we're guaranteed by the constitution. Country, right. Yes. yes. Yet that, to travel. Yep. Yeah. Yet that is used to, you know, to, to leverage, as you said, real, that's a great word to really control you in that mm -hmm. sense. Um, because if it's not valid, let's say, you know, some, you know, let's say you couldn't afford to renew it. So if that's not valid and you, you're going to use that, like, let's say to travel somewhere for whatever reason they want you to show it or to, to gain entry, whatever it is, mm -hmm. um, then it's just like, well, that's not valid, even though all your information is there. And at one point it was valid and it's saying at yeah. least it has your date of birth. So they know you're, um, you know, you're legally an adult, but, um, you know, it's like, well, it's not, it's not valid anymore. So all that effort and all that information is meaningless, but it is, you know, it, some of it is kind of like on a philosophical level. You just kind of take a minute and start thinking about this. Um, it really does open it Pandora's box. And so I kind of been on that journey, that journey where like, I've just taken a step back and started thinking about so many areas and it's just Pandora's box. One of the things that got me thinking was just the professional licensure because I went through it and I was just like, why it does the state have to be involved? Now I grew up in New York City. So I grew up around a lot of businesses that, you know, they were involved with, they had to pay the mob off basically in order to be able to like open a business. So I, right. it was, it's just like, this Same is like thing. a mob. It's an organized crime in a way, because without doing that, then you're not allowed to make, you know, you're not allowed to like function in this area, in this neighborhood. It's just like, uh, it's, it's incredible to me. And then just they kind of arbitrarily decide, oh, well, you know, we need more money. So where can we get more money? Oh, let's yeah. raise the prices of uh, professional licensures by a hundred percent or 50% yeah. or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and it's really difficult because now we're put in the position as citizens that we have to ask government permission, like to function in our, in our daily life. And I think, um, for so many years, we've really been conditioned that that is what this power structure is supposed to look like. And I think one of the attractive things about libertarianism and libertarians is that we push back and we're like, yeah, no, 
that's not how this is supposed to work at all. Um, right. Self-ownership is like a big, that's actually like the premise of libertarianism before the NAP and volunteerism. like you own yourself. Um, no government owns you, no monarchy. We broke away from that. Right. Um, no state owns you. So it's, you know, so and it just, doesn't you know, require a party, just, just being born. Right. So just from that, um, realization, you, you know, you could kind of take a step back and look at like all the ways so many things. Um, mm -hmm. and now, you know, we really see the marriage of corporations and government. Um, and it's toxic. It's been incredibly toxic to our society. It's really toxic to our culture right now. Um, and mm -hmm. it's really affecting us on so many levels, um, especially in the past year and a half, just looking at like big pharma and big medical and big government. It's a scary mm -hmm. combination. I think this is, is another reason. Um, I just wanted to share real quick because I put it up. So let me just see if this will let me, um, hold on, let me do this. Where is it? So I pulled up earlier, there it is. So definitions of um, libertarianism. So let me look at it. So I thought these were actually pretty cool. So from libertarianism.org, I don't know like who runs that organization, but I thought that's a good definition. Yeah. Libertarian is committed to the principle that liberty is the most important political value. Liberty means being free to make your own choices about your own life and what you do with your body and your property ought to be up to you. Um, and there's a couple more definitions there, but I just thought that was pretty straightforward and spot on. Um, what, let me see, what does mm -hmm. Wikipedia say? Libertarian for libertaire freedom is a political philosophy and movement that upholds liberty as a core principle. Libertarians seek to maximize autonomy and political freedom, emphasizing free association, freedom of choice, individualism, and voluntary association. Libertarians share a skepticism of authority and state power. <laughs> Sounds right. It goes on from there. Right. Um, but yeah, so these actually, um, the ones that I pulled up, and again, like I use Duck, Duck, Duck Go. So I don't know what Google would have shown us, but I think right. these are actually, you know, very kind of basic. And again, like um, we were saying earlier, there's, there's a spectrum as in all things. I mean, you can look up... Um, someone who considers himself like a vote, who votes Democrat or considers himself a progressive or a liberal. And I'm sure there's a spectrum in some of those um, mm -hmm. as well, but all right, let's go back to this. Yeah. Um, okay. So talk, if you could talk about the no climate tax Vermont. Okay. Uh, yeah. And that, that'll, um, I know you gave me a couple of caveats where I could have busted into the yeah. piece. Yeah. Uh. I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, it was a little bit of a fail, but um, so uh, no carbon tax Vermont is just really what it comes down to is, um, was a Facebook um, group that I um, set up a few years ago. It was mentioned in discussions by somebody that makes a lot of sense a lot of the time to me that there really was no space and no nothing really out there in Vermont to respond back. I mean, there are folks that do respond back to uh, the legislators in the climate caucus and those that would present legislation that um, would uh, either present a carbon tax or present a carbon fee or some sort of thing that's in response to carbon dioxide in the environment. That's uh, So no carbon tax group is a group 
that is nonpartisan. So the idea is, is that we all kind of come to the table from the same place. We all um, will suffer under um, a tax that isn't going to assist in Vermont in any way. So basically it's going to take money from us and it's going to go somewhere else to something else that is not going to change the climate. And so, um, so that's the, there's the, no, the um, nonpartisan piece to it, but really what we're here for is, um, so some might say a lot of people will jump to the conclusion mistakenly that we are, um, we don't believe in um, global warming or we don't believe in global climate change or some variation of some, some series of words that they heard online, like we don't believe in that. Actually, the group, I set the group, group up specifically to be against these carbon tax and carbon fee leverages that the state is using. It doesn't matter if, if a person in my group believes um, that there's um, that carbon dioxide is a greenhouse gas and that it is irresponsible. Uh, humans are responsible for putting enough of that out into the environment. And, and, and then also you will have folks in my group that are you know, they look at the graphs and stuff. It doesn't make any sense. They, they're reading from other scientists and they're getting some other information that is just as credible as a lot of this other stuff. But it counters that science because the I didn't want to put the group, this particular group, um, I wanted us to be effective in stopping the legislation, but I didn't want to put us in a situation where we became an easy target. And an easy target would be to say we're a bunch of people that does not believe that global warming exists or that there is a global warming or anything like that. I absolutely believe in global warming. Global warming is something that, I mean, we've gotten a lot warmer um, and we've gotten warmer since the 40s, you know. So, you know, there's what's the, you know, shrug. Um, but here's the thing. What do we do? We change that. What do do we, we, like, what how do we does do? the tax solve that? is really yeah. like, and, and I, and I joined that group with you and, and I mean, you share some really good information. There's some really great folks in there who share a lot of information about even like the um, climate solutions and alternative stuff and how some of that is even toxic to the environment. Um, like solar panels, like, uh, like there's not yeah. that solar panels are inherently bad, but it's just the materials that re are required to produce them. They, the extraction of those materials actually causes environmental harm. Aside from the fact that child slave labor is used to, in some instances to extract those minerals. And then, you know, For now powers. we're, right. And now we're hearing that um, solar panels have been around for, for many years, for decades. And so solar, mm -hmm. like older solar panels, you can't, um, you can't just get rid of them like in a regular way because of the, the, the 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 minerals or the chemicals that are used like they have to be taken to a certain area um because those things as they start to break down they're toxic like so if they yeah. get into, like in a regular dump so so mm -hmm. so my thing was like how does a tax fix that it's just more money that the state gets but then what what's done wow. it doesn't it doesn't remove the pollution it, it doesn't change in long term it's just this quick fix that the government you know it's, it's a marketing campaign i think Right. So when it, like, give us more money and we'll, 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 we'll give you the illusion that we're fixing something, but they're not. 
Well, when it first came along a couple of years ago, um, there was what they called the Essex plan. And the Essex plan was literally, they spent 10, I remember they spent 10 or I don't know, they didn't tens of thousands of dollars on this study to show that a car, what a carbon tax could do for Vermont, right? And they came back with this booklet of information, complicated climate rhetoric and all that. But essentially what the, what the Essex plan was, was a carbon tax. That was just a, you know, how much carbon dioxide do you use is going to be a tax on that. And that didn't pass because we fought it and, and no carbon tax um, Vermont was part of that fight. And, and others were too, the Ethan Allen Institute, those guys rock, you know, they put a lot of effort forward as far as, uh, you know, staying in tune. And, and I lean on those guys once in a while for a lot, actually, Rob. Um, so I lean on them once in a while for uh, to make sure that I'm getting my stuff straight. You know, things I don't like to be is incorrect. I don't like to be not factual. Um, well, you know, so one thing about no carbon tax Vermont is that we have some really interesting facts about Vermont, and I, I mention them all the time, but I really think it matters to know that the state that they're trying to leverage the most, remember these these um, these climate lobby groups like VPIRG um, and, and um, so VPIRG in particular is a good example. So we tend to look over at VPIRG and VPIRG's pushing for all this stuff, this legislation, this climate legislation. But one thing we don't consider is that VPIRG is a child of another organization. You know, um, VPIRG is a child of USPIRG. I don't know if you can hear me right now because my little screen went black. But I can um, hear you. You're good. Okay. All right. Um, so um, VPIRG is a child of USPIRG. And USPIRG has a mission that we're not familiar with here in Vermont. But their powerful extension is here in our state. Right. And so they have their board meetings at US Perg and that gets handed down to VPIRG and VPIRG kind of tailors things to what Vermont. Well, one of the really cool things for them is that we're so small and so willing to be green that we might be willing to. This is in their mind that we could very well be the first state. It's a small state, but if we can just kick it off with Vermont, then we can show other states. We can we can shame other states into like you can't even do what Vermont does, blah, blah, blah. Look at the look at the tax that they're well there we've got this tax set up we've got this cap and trade system because i feel like vermont for a lot of different issues that's the way because it doesn't make sense to me why there would be so many different type of lobbyists in such a small state and i think it's because we are used um as an used. experiment for certain um initiatives yeah. yeah if they can get it going with one state then they might be able to get it going with two and so that's how they, in Vermont is being used. Like that's why we're receiving so much pressure and the legislators, I, I'm going to, you know, I, I'm not going to call them out specifically, but a lot of the climate caucus people, they're interested in uh, more like, um, uh, I think they're interested more in fame in, in Vermont's legislative fame than they are much like some of the California folks end up wanting to be. But, um, you know, I think that when we look at, it's easy to point out when we look at those few facts, like we have the smallest greenhouse gas footprint in the United States. We have the smallest carbon dioxide specifically. So that means all greenhouse gases, smallest and carbon dioxide, smallest, fewest cars on the road, smallest, I think second fewest people, smallest, yeah. um, one of the coldest states. So when you think about carbon uh, leveraging a state 
for how much carbon they used. Think about how much more fuel. And ha- and remember, with so few people in a rural state, we're not wealthy. So by doing this, it's it's super duper unfair to um, like when Chittenden County has the majority of the legislative power and they, they have the majority of the wealth and the majority of the Vermont's opportunity. And they have this this Burlington centric view of Vermont, like everything is just a, a an extension city. of Burlington. Right. Yeah. There's places that that are easy to ignore. And those are the most rural of spaces. Right. And, and those people that the carpool put four or five or six people in a car to drive out to St. Johnsbury from Island Pond because they can't afford a car because there's no jobs out there or the jobs that they're going to really don't pay that much. Right. Um, you know, it, it's all about skills, but you got to drive to that skill. And if they're taxing gas in a certain way or if they're leveraging some kind of cap and trade system on, on fuel, which they're working on, it's called TCI, Transportation Climate Initiative. Oh, my God. And, and right now we've got the RGDI plan, which... Um, we didn't currently set that up. So the governor Douglas signed us on to that a while back. And, and that's a little bit more complicated, but essentially what we're looking at is cap and trade systems and TCI is a cap and trade system that will actually raise the price of fuel at our pumps on purpose, not for any other reason, but to deter folks from using the fuel that they are getting out of those pumps. Right. And, and, and to encourage you to accept some sort of subsidy or to, or to, right. To force you to get an electric car? With a subsidy, right? Because you'd never and, afford that on your own, not you. And but how great do those work in like below zero temperatures? Well, <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of people would say they work as good as they work, but they, they don't work like gasoline vehicles. And I heard, I saw it pointed out. I actually let a meme slide by on in the group the other day, um, uh, yesterday. And it was something to the effect of when you're on the side of the road, because you ran out of electricity, do you run and get a quick, you know, can of oh, electricity I, or I how does that, that work? Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, those kinds of things make a ton of sense. And, and also it leads us into this conversation about resiliency, about, about individual resiliency, family resiliency, home resiliency. And when we have things like, um, like Irene, the, the big storm that came through yeah, I remember and you that. have people cut off one on one side of the river towns on the other side of the river, there may be a whole bunch of people that live over on those Hills. They can't cross the, they may be able to cross that bridge now, but they can't cross it in a little while. They can see that that's about to happen. So they have to get in their vehicles. Right. But if the power's been out for a while, where's that charge going to come from? And you know, a diesel power- generator. Right. <laughs> yeah. If you've got a good generator, you know, you might have some time to wait while, that the, while the water's rising. But yeah. then on the other side of that is if you have a, you know, a regular gasoline powered vehicle, you just go in the barn, you grab yourself a couple gallons of your, you yeah. you're using the lawnmower, you just dump a couple gallons in or real quick and drive down the mountain to safety. So, you know, um, I think it's, it is definitely jumping the gun to think that, you know, a place like Vermont can be resilient with electric cars. And, um, it's not to say that I'm against electric vehicles. I think they're really cool. Um, I think it just shouldn't be by force. I think at the end of the day, like, like for Liberty minded people, we're all about like, shouldn't the state shouldn't be involved in forcing people. The market can do a, a fine job. I mean, technology and people that, you know, have that mind, you know, that there's plenty of people here that have hybrid cars for years and they didn't need the government to tell them to do it. It's just for them, it made sense to, um, they drove a lot. We drive a lot in a rural state and it made sense for them to have a hybrid car that, um, used less gas and they got really good, um, miles on it. 
um, may, you know, may not be the best for all times of the year, but, you know, depending where you live. Right. But like, we didn't need the government to force us to do that. Um, so at the end of the day, it's these kinds of initiatives that people should really stop and think about, like, why is the solution really the government forcing you to do it by making you pay more? Like that's coercion at the end of the day. Well, I agree. Uh, you know, I don't like it. You know, obviously I don't like it, but, um, I think at the end of the day, when we, it's easy for us to say, you know, we refer to government a lot, but then, you know, what's behind that, except there's a, you know, a ton of, uh, collectivizing happening behind that to make that happen. And so, uh, where's that coming from? And then when you see where the money's coming from, I mean, if you look at simple things like the efficiency Vermont fee on your bill, your electric bill, we all get it. Um, then, you know, there's approximately a hundred million dollars that lands in that thing yearly and has been happening year over year for a very long time. Wow. It's been that's happening for a long time. And, and so all these hundreds of millions, you know, um, a lot of it goes to promoting, um, subsidies for electric vehicles, um, all kinds of different subsidies that are based on carbon dioxide. Um, I am, um, a, personally, I'm against, um, most subsidies in general. Um, but I'm against very much against, um, these subsidies that are related to carbon dioxide because Vermont has this lake, not just because Vermont has Lake Champlain and we should be focusing on our own rivers and streams and our own property here, here where we are. Um, but we can't do anything about climate. We can't change the climate. We're just too small. And they agree. I've caught them on tape and, and I've posted it on my group. I have videos show them literally just clearly saying, Hey, listen, this is just a feel good thing. We know that 600,000 people or however many people Vermont has, we understand that you, we just can't change. This is about us feeling like we want to. And when we talk about us, we're really talking about the majority of those who vote. And when we talk about those who are the majority of those who vote in Vermont and those who have legit legislative power and populations, we're essentially talking about Chittenden County. I was going to say that's centralized in a very particular location of the state where you have a lot of people who are not full-time residents necessarily because right. you have a lot of colleges uh well not a lot of colleges you have a lot of college students there yeah. um a lot of people who um live there from i mean i'm from out of state originally but you know a lot of people are from out of state that are there for work um right. or for you know or for educational endeavors and uh, yeah so you, you know you bring I mean, I always look at so many of the problems in Vermont having to do actually with gentrification. Um, mm -hmm. You just have this uh, significant uh, group of people who are concentrated in that part of the state. Um, and they really hold just by their numbers um, a lot of voting block, essentially. Yeah. yeah. They're, 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 they're uh, how do you say it? Like just the, the way they live because it's somewhat urban is in right. is in deep contrast to the overwhelming majority of the state which is very rural and right. that voting block has had really bad consequences for all for for most vermonters like you and i that live very rural um right. and so you're trying to impose like this suburban or urban view of like how we solve problems so we involve the government on a rural state and they just it doesn't it doesn't work Right. And, and the way, and actually there are an awful lot of these, you know, um, I think that there's a spectrum of climate folks, these pro carbon dioxide people. 
Um, but, you know, there's a lot of these folks that believe that we should all move to urban centers in order to protect the rural. And that is the gentrification. One of the gentrifications that I see um, clearly they are uh, the expenses. They have invested a lot of money. Uh, I hope that all this COVID-19 money that's been whatever the windfall that they can call that, you know, essentially it's taxpayer money and in the value of the dollar, you know, um, all this money and stuff, I just have a hard time believing that it's ever going to, that it's going to help anybody from East Haven or Brighton or any of these people out in the, the, you know, it's, it's this money's going to probably get spent in Burlington. You know, I mean, I know the money's going to get spread, spread around a little bit, but when it really comes down to it, these people want us to move into Burlington and be controlled under municipal laws in Burlington and everybody gets a bike and let's stop driving all together. And, and it's a lot of pipe dreams. And in general, I think if Vermonters knew that, if they really knew that one Vermonters can't do anything, it's not about me being a big stinker about um, about climate and about people putting effort towards something that's positive because that's the way it comes off a lot. But it's really about let's be realistic we are a small state and we don't have that much money. I know you guys think you do over in, in Burlington. You've got a lot of opportunity over there. A lot of you guys have second things going on. You, you've got a lot of data going in and out of place, a lot of money going in and out of there. I think that's great. But we have a problem because, you know, what's happening is we're being overwhelmed by uh, this <laughs> And the people, the rural folks, you see, I think this is also a thing. I think there's a left-right thing going on here when it comes to the tax part of this. Mm -hmm. And the left-right thing where you have the left that wants, you know, everybody should be really investing a, a ton. Into, well, the left also loves politics. They, they love being involved in politics. And the right, they don't, in my opinion. They don't love being in politics. These people want to be spending time with their families. And I'm not saying that the left is anti-family or anything like that. I'm just saying they want to be for ignoring that. They'd rather be doing something else, working, working around the house, working on stuff for the family, going to work, all that stuff. That's the stuff that's important, in my opinion. They've only gotten pinched recently where they've started becoming more active and I hope uh, I I don't I think that there's the right and then there's the left, but then there's a lot of other people that are just dis disenfranchised from the duopoly in general. And, and there's these people they just don't agree with where the right goes as far as they go with things, and they don't agree with where the left goes. And this is where I'm hoping that we can um, brand libertarianism in Vermont so that people can understand what we are and that we're different from right. other stuff out there. We're not even on and, that spectrum a lot of times. No, no, I agree. I think that when I ran as a libertarian um, before, I think um, I, I wasn't naive to think that I would just walk in the door and, and I wasn't. No, I, I knew it was going to be a challenge. and I knew I didn't have I didn't know everything I needed to know about everything I needed to know to make that happen. Um, but in general, um, I think that nobody knew what a libertarian was. And, and, and here's a good example. Um, there's another person, I won't mention names, but you know, if somebody wanted to look at it, they could. Um, there was another person running in, in um, my district. Um, and a lot of what they did, in a, and I don't have any animosity about it, but a lot of what they did was they just reposted my posts. You know, So I would post posts and they agreed with them. That. Yeah, and they just kept reposting my posts. And I was like, like wow, that, that was a good idea. Let me that can't that hurt. That was my idea. That's... Um, that candidate smoked me in every single location. 
Wow. And nobody knew who they were, in my opinion. But nobody because really of the knew. Letter, the letter after their name, the their color. party. Yeah. Yeah, it was the color. And, and I know that if I had run as a Republican, I know I would have been more threatening to the establishment. But it gets complicated, you know, not to get too far into my campaign, but it gets complicated yeah, no. when you have a Democrat and a Republican, two seats, and I have the uh, impediment of being in uh, Orange County, but running in a district called Caledonia District, where it's, there is a Caledonia County. That, oh, that district. I thought it was you, Caledonia County. Oh, you're in Orange. No, okay. I'm in Orange County, but I have to run in Caledonia District because it's just not an easy place to run because of that. People don't understand. That is confusing. It's very difficult for the, me to get people in Orange County to vote for somebody that's in Caledonia District. So what, what area does Caledonia District cover? Uh, well, it, I can't, you know, okay, so what area does it cover? It's kind of difficult because it's all just small towns, right? So there's oh. three districts in Caledonia. There's three districts that overlap. They are not county um, orchestra, you know, they aren't just drawn by county line, which God, I wish they were right. You know, but because of, I guess, you know, they do a lot of uh, gerrymandering and different types of juggling of how, and populations change. I should say that that's what I really should say is that populations change. And so every so often they have to go back and figure out, okay, how many representatives need to be here and how many need to be there in order to keep the populations aligned with the number of representatives. Okay. Yeah, but it's a little bit like clumsy me being down here and you know like I went to the you know um it's a little bit beside the point but I went to the um the Caledonia Libertarian Committee to ask for their nomination. I didn't go to my county's you know I, I actually don't have a county committee which will change shortly. Mm -hmm. It's about to change. Good. Um, yeah. Um, and then I don't know how that's going to look. I have to call elections to find out if I, I still think that I have to go, even if I'm, let's not go there, but even if I'm directly involved in that, um, that County committee, I believe I still have to go to the Caledonia County to, to run for that office. But what towns are in the district though? It's Island. That's like way up there. Island. <clears throat> no, no, it's oh. not Island Pond. It's not as far as it actually, the highest point it, um, that I go up would be Newark. And so Newark borders Island Pond. Oh, wow. Okay. But it's a very big, long district. So it's literally south of me and north of me all the way up to Newark. And I don't know if you know where I am, but I'm down. Do you know, like, you know, where Wells River is, like PH truck stop on 91, or do you know where St. Johnsbury is? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So if you drive south on St. Johnsbury, maybe 40 miles. Wow. Yeah. And so it's Newark from is, And Newark is way north. Yeah. That's so tell me, wow. it, it was a challenge. If you don't, if they don't know you, like they know the current sitting um, legislators, you don't mm -hmm. really stand much of a chance unless they really hate the current legislators, which they keep voting them in a, year after year. And very yeah. seldom does a, does a um, senator lose their seat in the first place. Um, but, uh, but it does. Yeah. Happen. It does. But uh, you, but yeah, like two years ago, really... it was like one yeah. senator got turned over. And then I think this last time, I don't think many senators, I think there were only a couple of senators that got turned over this last round too. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, it takes, I mean, it takes a lot of resources to anywhere, but I think particularly here, I mean, we were talking about this before we started, but mm. a lot of people just vote like whatever their party is. So whatever letters after your name, you know, if it's red or blue, like that's just kind it's of true. how they go it's about true. it. Um, mm. And you're talking about Chittenden County, which is, you know, it's Burlington and South Burlington. And mm. those are, it's the most populated area of the state because of the colleges and some of the industries that are there or that have been traditionally there that are there. Um, so I always joke that Vermont needs its own electoral college because it's just, you know, so much it's wielded just number wise from that one region that doesn't look like anywhere else in the state. It doesn't even look like mm -hmm. Montpelier. No, it doesn't look it like St. J. It doesn't look like anywhere else. Like it's so distinct. Yeah. Um, you know, like it if is. you only went to Burlington and then one day someone took you out to, you know, Newport or, or Danville, like you'd be like, where is this? So looks so completely different than what yeah. Burlington looks like. Yeah, and that's I, a lot of experience. I mean, I've met, you know, people who are, you know, working and living in Burlington and um, for a few years and they don't really get to a lot of other parts of the state. And then, you know, they'll tell me, oh, I, I, I went to the real Vermont today, you know, the other day. Like I went all the way out to, you know, um, I don't know. I went all the yeah. way out to Hardwick and it's like, wow, it's a real right. it's like, yeah, it's really different than than what Burlington is. Yeah, yeah, it really is, and uh, and it really does hurt that that the um, the minimum um, pay in Burlington is so much higher. I mean, it distorts all of our statistics. When people look at Vermont, they're like, "Oh, it's like this." The median income in Vermont is like this. There's big disparaging differences. Yeah, between, once you come away from Chittenden County, I mean, you find yeah, there's, there's huge differences, and. and um, one of the things that um, I never, I never really saw rural poverty until I moved up to Vermont. I grew up in New York City, so I know what urban poverty looks like. Yeah. Um, but here, when you see what rural poverty, you know, which I don't want to go into like the identity politics thing, but um, it's really, you know, striking those disparities. Um, and I think, that, you know, that's one of the reasons why you know, we're trying to get government out of the way for so, you know, for everyone. So that yeah. way there's just more ability. And I, you know, one of the things that I, I love about Vermont, one of the reasons why we decided to move up here is just because so many people here are really believe in self-sufficiency. Mm -hmm. um, and there is a lot of resiliency um, in these mm -hmm. rural communities because of, um, you know, the traditions that come with um, that come with that. Yeah. Um, so is your family originally from Vermont? Nope. Uh, my family got their start in um, Buffalo, New York. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's where my mother met my um, my father, where I wasn't born then. Um, but my mother um, and my two brothers traveled in the back of a truck in the winter uh, with a blanket over them. And she was pregnant up oh to God. a commune called Earth People's Park in uh, Northeast Kingdom above Norton, <laughs> up on the border. And, um, and I refer to it as a bit of a, it was an anarchist commune. So there was no leader, uh, ever, it was, everybody needed to support themselves in a, in a way, but everybody also sort of collectivized in community from a social community perspective. It was a pretty neat thing for a while. Um, uh, but I it had was, no uh, idea. Wow. Yeah. Um, uh, there were a lot of communes in the Northeast kingdom. Yeah, um, that was a thing in Vermont in the late 60s, early 70s. Mm -hmm. There's a kind of 
back to the land movement and Vermont was one of those places that people travel to from all over. Yeah. And there was free land up, uh, up near Norton. It was, um, I believe it was a paper mills land from California and they were going out of, I think, I don't want to mistell the story, but they were going out of business and all they did was, so there was the earth people's park that were down on that. What's the liberal college in California. I know it's like hard to say which Berkeley? one. Berkeley. Okay. And so on the lawn in Berkeley, so there's an earth people's park down in Berkeley and there's an earth people's park over near the village in New York. Um, so at that time, not anymore. Right. Um, so that earth people's park, somehow some affiliation with the park and that newspaper company, they, um, literally turned this land over. If you pay the taxes, it's yours. And it wow. was a lot of acres up there in, in very rural northeastern Vermont, hard living up there. But what yeah. they did was everybody went up there and built a frames and little house shacks that were tight, you know, little log cabins. There was a guy that lived in a cave in the woods. Wow. Uh, yeah. You know, it was all types of hippies and dippies and, um, and, uh, you know, um, a lot of those people, they, um, they're still hippies today. A lot of them music. Well, I think, you know, that was also like, you had a lot of people, um who brought ideas of like organic farming and um kind of permaculture ideas and and things like that not that i don't i don't know what was happening here agriculture wise but hmm. um i think certainly people and like and, and people that uh started like you know food co-ops and things like that probably yeah. you know i'm guessing kind of came out of that is my assumption those would um, be people that value that sort of thing i would think so yeah yeah healthful life um you know, of course, back then, you know, it was the party basically was what they were doing. Um, and, you know, I think, that, uh, you know, I, my mother tells me the story and I, I sometimes think I remember, but I don't because I was too young. Um, I wasn't born then, but later I was part of the park as a young person, you know, so I have these multiple different year uh, decades where I was over there, but some of the buildings were still there in the building that my mother lived in. So I can kind of envision the things that she says about when she lived there. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, the reason why she moved out was ultimately that when you live in a place like that, where there's no real set of rules on the wall, there are always going to be people that come in and like kind of violate your space. Right. And that was ultimately, you know, you, you can't raise kids in it very easily in an environment where you have to protect the food in the cupboard. Right. From others, you know. Wow. Yeah. And so uh, ultimately she did the right thing. And she, uh, we went on to the little apartment at the Beehive and Island Pond. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's one of the things, um, now that you mentioned that, um, one of the things with libertarians is, you know, like we believe in private property. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so there's libertarians, um, quite famous ones too. Like, I mean, they, they use the word anarchist quite freely, but it's not the, um, not anarcho-communist, like where they don't believe in private property and, um, kind of centralization in that sense, but anarcho-capitalist where, yeah, they're about like, there's no state, but you know, the big difference is, you know, the belief in, private property and non-aggression um mm -hmm. so it's interesting that you mentioned that but um but yeah thank you know so i just i want to thank you so much we're at an hour 
And oh. this was such a great conversation. It goes by so fast, right? Yeah, it does. You know, oh, we've really talked about a lot of stuff. I just took like some just jotted things down and I wanted to talk about a couple of other things, but I think an hour is good. Um, yeah. And we can have another conversation. I'd love to have a conversation with you about homeschooling and about cannabis. Oh, that sounds um, good. That sounds we're good. both homeschoolers and we're both, you know, um, cannabis advocates. Yeah. Um, but I just want to thank you. And so is there any contact information for you or for the no climate tax Vermont? Well, um, as far as no carbon tax Vermont goes, I'm on, we're on oh, Facebook. Tax, sorry, um, I was saying climate tax, carbon tax, sorry. That's okay. I don't want a climate tax of any form. Yeah, nothing. Same thing. That's the same thing in my no mind. Whatever, Vermont, yeah. Don't, don't tax me on oxygen. You know, right. that'll come. That'll come if they set this president, you know. Um, no. Um, so, yeah, no carbon tax uh, group, um, Vermont. No, I'm sorry. No carbon tax, Vermont Facebook group. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so we're out there. You could even go to just hashtag no carbon tax Vermont or no carbon tax VT. And then the group would sort of pop up underneath that hashtag. But yeah, it'd be anybody that's uh, of like mind and, and feels that a, uh, a carbon tax is going to, you know, harm folks and not help folks, then maybe you could come to my uh, group here. I don't consider it my movement. I just, I set up the group and that's the extent of it. And the, but, um, you know, sometimes we'll lead us off to uh, the state house and we have Great. met at, you know, with the governor and stuff. So come over and say hi and uh, join up. Great. Um, and if anyone wanted to reach out to you in terms of um, running for office or, or your candidacy, because I think you were telling me earlier you are interested in running again, is there yeah. um, an email or place where they can contact you or for anyone that's not on Facebook? Yeah. Um, off election season, I'm jtdodge at gmail.com. And um, yeah, feel free to reach over to me. If you have any questions about where I stand on something, or if you were, thought I was a little fishy in a certain area, give me a chance to defend myself. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. And um, hopefully we'll talk again soon. Yeah, that sounds great. Olga. This and thanks great. everyone for joining us. Have a good one. Thanks. You too.